Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Uh, we do have some visitors with us this morning. It's nice to see Addie's mum and dad with us again. Uh, we've also got uh, Joanna and Bo, who are here, I think, with Bayar this morning. And we also have um, David and Julie, who are here for the best possible reason. It was David's sister's wedding yesterday, and part of the uh, celebrations were here in the hotel. We hope that you all enjoy your time with us and that you'll stay and have some tea or coffee with us at the end of the service. More about that later. Everything you need to follow the service will be both on the printed order of service and on the screen. Thank you, Anne. Um, you will notice I have a different style of zapper today. I, I left my zapper at home, so Katrina has decided that she will very graciously be my minion and press buttons for me. So it's still Katrina and Katrina, so it's, it's kind of okay. I'm going to use as our call to worship this morning some words that have been um, suggested by Christian Aid, and they will appear on the screen. They are also on your sheet. I will say the words in yellow. If you would like to, you're invited to join in with the words in white. <laughs> For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For you are our God, and we are the people of your pasture, the flock under your care. And so we're going to join together in our opening hymn, which is a really lovely golden oldie. In heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear. And if you're able and would like to, you're invited to stand with us as we sing.
So we come now to God in prayer, and I will lead us in a prayer provided by Christian Aid. And at the end of that, we will join together in saying the Lord's Prayer. And as is our normal practice, you are invited very warmly and slightly strongly (laughs) to pray that in your own first language and in the version that feels the most natural to you. So let's pray together. Loving God, quieten our minds and open our hearts. Inspire us as we listen to your word. Equip us, challenge us, comfort us, teach us. Holy Spirit, move us today to proclaim your love, to be bearers of good news and your messengers of mercy and peace. You delight in creation, its colour and diversity. Yet we have misused the earth and plundered its resources for our own selfish ends. Lord, have mercy. You have brought order out of chaos, light in darkness, good out of evil. But we have preferred darkness in words and deeds which dishonour God's holy name. (coughs) Christ, have mercy. You have showered us with blessings, but we've been grudging towards others and lacking in generosity in word and deed. Lord, have mercy. Lord, you give us this good earth, yet we take your generous gifts for granted. Lord, have mercy. Lord, you give us this good earth, but we squander its rich resources. Christ, have mercy. Lord, you give us this good earth, but we fail to share your bounty with all your children. Lord, have mercy. Merciful God, who pardons all who truly repent, assure us of your forgiveness and help us as we pray for your incoming kingdom as we pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen.
how many people there are in this room this morning. If anybody wants to count them for me. Four, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-seven, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, forty, forty-one, forty-three, forty-four, forty-five, forty-six, forty-seven, forty-eight, forty-nine, and I think two have just gone out, fifty, fifty-one. So fifty-one people in this room. How many do you think we could fit in this room? Two to three hundred? If we all squished together, yeah? Five or six hundred will be... How many do you think you could fit in your house or your flat? A thousand? What do you reckon, uh, Andrew, so you could get a thousand people in your flat? Yes, stack one like that. An interest. It's, like, it's like those old things, isn't it? How many people you could get in a mini? And it was also like about 20 was the world record for how many people you could fit in a mini. Well, in Haiti, there is a woman called Vilia, and she shared her tiny home with 54 other people after Hurricane Matthew destroyed the other homes in her village. And I think her home was probably no bigger than the bit of this room where the choir are. A tiny home. And she had more than 50 people came and sheltered in her home after Hurricane Matthew in Haiti. I'm going to tell you a story about a little girl called Zaza, who is eight years old, and she lives in Haiti. I just think we're going to get an earthquake there if we're not careful. <laughs> That's all right. When the hurricane hit Haiti two years ago, Zaza was at home in bed. Knowing that their house wasn't very strong, she and her family ran through the wind and rain to a nearby shelter. Everybody was soaked to the skin by the lashing rain. The wind was so strong that it blew over many of the trees on Zaza's part of the island, and she only just escaped being crushed by a falling coconut tree. This is what she says. I was very scared of the hurricane. I was afraid. I think I would be afraid, wouldn't you? If there's that wind so strong, it's in danger of blowing over a big tree that's going to squash you. At the shelter, they were safe from the storm. But when they got back to their house, they found that the wind had blown the roof right off. So they had to live without a roof on their house for five months. That's nearly half a year with no roof on a house. What do you think would happen if you had no roof on your house? You could get wet, yeah, cold, insects, birds, sorry, 
Snakes, yep, yeah, snakes possibly not in this country, but in, in their country. So no security. Anybody could get in your house if there's no roof on it. So five long months they lived in the house like that. But Christian Aid, a charity in the United Kingdom and Ireland, the whole of Ireland, has helped to replace the roof with a nice strong one. So now she doesn't need to worry about hurricanes and she can do her two favourite things, which are reading and skipping. So as I says, I like it when, I come to, when my friends come to the house and we can all play hide and seek together. Now, I know that our children like playing hide and seek all over the hotel. And sometimes I think, oh my goodness, what's going on here? But for Zaza, just having able to have friends round to her house and play the games that we enjoy is an amazing thing. She's Made possible. She's a child. She's eight years old. Yeah, she was able to do these things because people like us gave a little bit of money to help pay for a new roof. Now, Anne mentioned that we're going to do some things today to send to Christian Aid, and the first one is that on your chair when you came in, you should have found a brick. And what Christian Aid are inviting us to do is to think of people who have lost their homes, and it it doesn't have to be people in Haiti, and it doesn't have to be people who've lost their homes because of a storm or an earthquake. All sorts of reasons people lose their homes. And we might want to draw a picture, or write a message, or write a little prayer for them, and then after the service, and after the photograph, if it works... Um, these will all get sent off to Christian Aid because they're going to collect up all these bricks and send them with the petition to Mrs May to say, look, this is what Christian believers in our nation are saying. They want to support these people. So when you've written on your brick, if you would like to come and place it, um, well, I'll guide, I think, in or around the house at the front, which has no roof and has broken walls, that would be wonderful. And I think we'll just have the music, the video going as we do that rather than afterwards. If you want to join in with the song, I, I think have a voice. You, can. you have a voice. We have a voice. And when we sing together, a line is drawn and hope reborn. This is the song. The song of kingdom come I have a voice You have a voice We have a voice When we sing together A line is drawn And hope reborn This is the song The song of kingdom come We heard the cries Of distant neighbours the refugee and God's command to feed the hungry and set them free and set them free we heard the word the new commandments and we reclaimed the prophet's call to love the world without Sing together. 
Our first reading is from Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And verse 22 to 24. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvellous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. First Peter verse two, chapter 2, verse 4 to 6. Come to him, a living stone, 
though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And then Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Jesus said, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And anyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Sometimes when I wake up, I'm grumpy. And maybe I was grumpy the day I looked at the Christian aid material. But I think my grump was probably justified. So I'm going to start with a grumble and an admission that goes with it. You see, this year, the all-age material that they suggested in Christian aid started off with this statement. And At first sight, it seems quite innocuous. It says this. This is a direct quote. Start by asking the congregation to close their eyes and picture their home after they've been away for a while. What are they looking forward to coming back to? Ask people to call out their favourite part of their home. Now, I have to admit, having calmed down and thought a bit more rationally, I had to accept that Had it been a year ago when I read that, I would have got what they were getting at and thought, yeah, that's a great idea, let's go with it. I didn't give, and I wouldn't then have given the thought that I now give to how those words might be heard by those in our congregation for whom going home is an impossibility. There are people in our congregation, part of our community, our family, whatever language we like to use, who cannot go home, whether that place is in Glasgow or Scotland, whether it's in the United Kingdom, or whether it is in another nation, because to do so is not safe. There are some people in our church who can never go home in that sense, Because to do so would be to risk arrest and execution. There are some people who can never go home 
because to do so would be to risk abuse and victimisation. And so I got quite angry as I read those words. And also, I got a little bit irritated by them because I'm somebody who has this very strange mixture of having no real sense of place identity. I don't identify as English or British or European, if I can possibly avoid it. don't mean a lot to me. But at the same time, I can be like a tigress with her cubs if anybody dares to criticise anywhere I have ever lived. So woe betide any English person who says anything disrespectful about Scotland and woe betide any Scot who says anything disrespectful and unjustified about England. Did that actually make a subtle difference there? Uh, Woe betide anybody from the south of England, any Londoner, I was born in London, who speaks disparagingly of the north of England, or of Manchester, where I spent four very happy years. And woe betide anybody from Warrington, where I lived for 11 years, who says, where? When I talk about Northampton, where I lived for 11 years. So I'm actually a living example of the cans of worms we open up when we start talking about home and equating it to a specific place. Now, I have to give a health warning with that because I'm very conscious that that's me and how I see things. I know that there are other people around me for whom geography is really important in defining home for them. People for whom it is really important to say, this is my nationality. I get that. And even though I might think that is not always helpful, of course, that is a valid perspective. So I'm trying not just to project my grumpiness onto all of you. I'm actually trying to see what is this idea of home that we are invited to explore And what does it mean to build a home capable of withstanding the storms? I come to the material today totally committed to the cause of helping to rebuild or build houses for people in Haiti and in other nations whose physical homes have been destroyed. And I am also totally committed to the petition to be sent to Theresa May. You don't have to be on the electoral roll to sign it. You don't have to live in Glasgow to sign it. You can just sign it. If you feel you would like to say to her, yeah, this is important. This big, rich nation should help other people. The story we have heard earlier that I mentioned right at the start about Villa was the name of the lady, who had 54 people in her house. It's a truly remarkable story about a woman who experienced great tragedy. First of all, when there was the earthquake in Haiti. don't know if you remember that. Some of you will, some of you won't. She was living in Port-au-Prince at that time with her mother. Now, she was out at the market. Her mother was in their home. The earthquake happened. She rushed home to discover it had gone. And she never saw her mother again. Her mother had been killed in that earthquake and her body was lost. 
And it was a relative that suggested to Villa that she went home to the village that she had grown up in. Let's go there, they said, and try to rebuild our lives. A new house, a new community, a new sense of home. And so she did that and she was beginning to rebuild her life when Hurricane Matthew came along. And she was safe inside her house on her own. Someone knocked at the door. It was a young girl. A young girl who'd been out walking with her father and the the hurricane had whipped her father away and carried him away. He was lost. And this little girl, utterly terrified, sought shelter from Villa, who had welcomed her in. So it continued as the night drew on. More and more people seeking shelter in her house. A tiny house where they all squeezed in. And they didn't just stay there for one night. Not just after the storm was over. They actually stayed there for a long time. Because the next day when they looked out, the village had gone. Most of the houses had been destroyed And Villas was one of the few buildings still standing. But she invited them in. She didn't think about herself. She gave shelter to these people without asking any questions because they were all victims of the same storm. And to me, that is a lived parable, a lived sermon, in which all kinds of people who might never otherwise have been under the same roof came together because one woman who had already experienced her incredible sadness herself opened her home and welcomed others in. So when I read that story, I felt a bit ashamed of being quite so grumbly because this story gave me a sense of perspective. But it also seems to me to go more to what home is about which isn't just bricks and water. Home is about shelter. It's about welcome. It's about messiness. It's about struggle and squabble, which happens when you get people together, and it's about sharing. I've lived on my own for the greater part of half a century. That's quite a scary thought. Over 40 years I've lived on my own. Well, about 40 years I've lived on my own. And I love having people to come and stay with me. But you know what? I love it even better when they go. Because I get my own space back. And I think what I hear in the story of Villa both affirms that and challenges it. She loved her own home. She was there. It was her space where she could be safe and be who she was. But she opened it without question to anybody who needed shelter. And then, in due course, when the time was right, when there was somewhere safe for them to go, she let them go and presumably had to readjust to that quietness that resulted. And I think in that messy model, we begin to learn what home really means. I wonder if that village almost became the many dwelling places of which we read in John's Gospel. That a home is not necessarily one building. It can be several buildings where we're free to be who we are. But there is an overarching sense of togetherness. 
of unity. What Velia and her neighbours did is remarkable. It suggests what it means to build a home that can withstand the storm. Not a physical home that is rainproof and waterproof, can withstand thunder and lightning and sleet and snow and any other kind of physical storm, but a metaphorical roof home that can withstand the storms of life, which are every bit as real and every bit as destructive. The home as an image for the Christian church in its many expressions seems to be a good one. A place where those who struggle can knock on our door, which is hopefully already open, and be welcomed in to join others. But the mystery and the wonder is that we are all people who need shelter. We are all people who need welcome. We are all people who have experienced tragedy of whatever form and whatever magnitude. And so we all come together and it all gets a little bit messy because we don't always agree on everything and we don't all think alike. And some people like the music loud and some people like the music quiet and some people like chocolate and some people don't like chocolate and whatever it might be. But in this messiness... We learn what it is to love, to respect, to be tolerant, to be generous, to be kind, to be forgiving. But also, it is a place where if we aren't very loving, or we do run out of tolerance, or we don't feel very generous or kind or forgiving, we are also welcomed and valued just as we are. I know that there are times when, at least metaphorically, I step on people's toes at church. Sometimes I can be a rat bag. Sometimes I can be stubborn. Sometimes I will accidentally hurt somebody, despite my best intentions. And there will be times when, metaphorically at least, somebody accidentally, or on purpose, jabs me with their elbows. And it hurts. It does hurt. We feel disappointment. And sometimes perhaps we even feel disillusioned. But you see, here is the thing. It is so much better to be on the inside, looking out at the storm, than to be on the outside, looking in, and thinking, wow, it looks amazing in there, but I could never, never could I go in there. Unfortunately, it's a sunny day, so that kind of blows me pointing at the window, but never mind. And I want to suggest that this parable that Jesus tells us about two builders has something to say to that, about how you build a storm-proof home. There are two ways you can build a house. You can throw one up quickly and move in, or you can do something that takes a long time. And you have a choice. But in the end... You get what you choose. It's really easy to build a superficial church community that is all smiles and outward calm and the kind of Bible bookshop Christians that, oh no, please, you take the last Bible. No, you take the last. It's very easy to do that. And when life is going well, it's okay. 
But actually, such a house is built on sand. And it is a house, it's not a home. Because as soon as there is disappointment, as soon as there is despair or death or disaster, and it gets shaken, the walls can fall down and it can collapse. And the people who were on the inside are left homeless and helpless in the face of those storms. Hewing foundations onto the rock, which incidentally is what our friends did across the road when they built our church 135 years ago, there or thereabouts. Levelling uneven ground, well, they built a slopey church, um, but ensuring that they took account of the water table and the prevailing winds, what materials they could get to build the house. That all takes time. And maybe one person can't build a house like that. It almost certainly needs a lot of people. You need architects, you need quantity surveyors, you need ordinary surveyors, you need bricklayers, you need electricians, you need plumbers, you need all kinds of people I can't even think of. And as we've seen with cathedrals, they're often not built in one generation. But all these people have to come together and work out what the compromises are so that you get a house, a home, that can accommodate everybody's needs, if not any one person's wants. It's about building a place where we learn to work through disagreements. Where do we put the windows? What colour do we paint the walls or the doors? All these kind of things are a learning process as the house is built that help us to develop as people. And when it's done, it's not going to be anyone's dream home. When our dream comes true and we go back across the road to our own building, it's not going to be my perfect church and it's not going to be your perfect church, but it's going to be our home and that is so much more important. That's the church we aspire to be, I believe. A church where everybody is welcome to come out of the storms or to come out of the joys and be together. It's a place where, yep, the reality is sometimes we will feel a bit let down and sometimes we will think, oh goodness, I've let everybody else down. But what we're building isn't a house and it isn't a hotel. It's a home. And I honestly believe that those pioneers that left Adelaide Place 135 years ago to come out to what was then the emerging West End of Glasgow laid the foundations for a home that has withstood many storms. I know a little of the history of our church before I came. And there were storms. And they were survived. And we're still here. And I think we're in good shape. This metaphor of building goes right through the scriptures. You may recall how King David desperately wanted to build a temple because he thought, well, you know, that tabernacle, that te- it's just not good enough for God. And God said, uh-uh, no. And we may recall how when God did permit the people to have a temple, they lost sight of its purpose, a house of prayer for all the nations, and actually concentrated on keeping out the rubbish people, keeping out the dirty people, keeping out the women, keeping out the foreigners, keeping out anybody who might defile it. It's you know, a bit like the new carpet thing. You don't want anybody spilling tea on your new carpet. They kind of never got past that. 
The idea of a house for God is a really beautiful one. But it does risk that sense of worshipping the thing rather than creating a place where people live. And the Greek word oikos, which can mean to build, is one from which we get all sorts of words in our own contemporary language. So ecumenical, the uh, connection of churches around the world. Economy, how we use our money. Even places, even the entire inhabited world are included within that concept. And I like that idea. The idea that the home that we are created, called to be part of is about people across the world, in every aspect of our life, our money, our, our, our living, our loving, our, our daily lives. All of that is part of how we build this house. And the wonderful thing is that this house is built of people. That's what Peter says. A temple built of living stones. It's not built of bricks, like modern buildings. It's not built of dressed sandstone, like the tenements or even our own building across the road. It's actually a wonderful collection of higgledy-piggledy bricks and stones of all shapes and all sizes. And, and some of them have got bits gouged out and some of them don't quite fit and some of them have got rough edges. And yet somehow... God helps us to put those together and make a very beautiful place. More like a dry stone wall, I suspect, than a cathedral. Yet it's more resilient than the wall and it's more beautiful than the cathedral. And it can withstand the storms. Emotional storms. Theological storms. Relational, societal, political. Whatever storm it is, if this house, this home is well built... It will survive. So how do we get this home built? How do we be sure it's going to be okay? If you go and look at uh, fancy buildings, and, and I suspect our church is in some sense a bit like that, but don't, although I don't actually recall it having a carved stone in it, a lot of stones have got, uh, churches and um, corporate buildings have a big stone that's a cornerstone. It's the first stone that's laid. And when you put that stone down, you set the direction for that building. And if you get that stone correctly aligned, you can build your building correctly. And if you get it wrong, oh dear. I mentioned earlier that I lived in Northampton for much of my childhood, and I did. We had a beautiful new bus station opened in 1977. The trouble was, instead of putting the cornerstone there, they put the cornerstone there. Because somehow, the plans had got turned upside down. The consequence of that is to be seen today, even though that bus station was demolished a couple of years ago, in that the roads all had to be rejigged through the town centre so that the buses could get in and out of that bus station. You've got to get that first stone right, or you live with the consequences. And of course, I don't need to say it, because we all know it, that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone, the one who sets the way for us as followers. But here's the thing. At a human level, Jesus was a failure. He got arrested. He got executed. 
at a religious level, he was a blasphemer. He claimed to be God, which was absolutely verboten. And politically speaking, he was a flat nuisance because he went round challenging all the societal norms, including women, including foreigners, including sick people, forgiving tax collectors, encouraging people to give everything up and join his movement. He was, in a sense, thrown away. He was the wrong shape, the wrong size, the wrong material. But as the Christ of God, who has defeated death and sin, he becomes divine and he is the perfect cornerstone for the church. A church is a shelter from the storm, a place where all may find refuge, all may feel welcomed and invited in. And I know we bang on about this a lot in our church, but it's what we try to be. And I honestly think we do pretty well. Yeah, our walls aren't terribly straight. There are holes in them, and we do sometimes squabble or whatever. But we're doing okay. And this, I think, is the message for us to take away. That today, we can do something really practical to help people in Haiti, whether, if we are able, that is a financial gift or whether that is a decision to sign a petition or to contribute a drawing or a prayer on the stones. That's really important. That's part of the home. But also, we are a home where each of us and those who came before and those who will follow us find welcome. And so we are going to sing another hymn now, the chorus of which is this, Christ alone, cornerstone, Weak made strong in the Saviour's love. Through the storm he is Lord, Lord of all.
Our prayers for others this morning are based on prayers suggested by Christian Aid for this Sunday. So let us pray. God of love, you have called us to follow in the way of your risen Son, to care for our sisters and brothers around the world, to love not only in words but in action. And so we pray for all who have had to flee their homes. Give them strength for the daily struggle to provide for their families. Give their children protection from harm and shelter from the elements. And give them hope for a secure and welcoming home. We pray for your kingdom as you would build it. We pray for all Christian Aid's partners around the world. We give thanks for the provision of Vilia's home and for the shelter it provided for her neighbours during Hurricane Matthew. We pray for Christian Aid's work in Haiti, rebuilding and readying for the next storm that will inevitably come. We pray for your kingdom as you would build it. We pray for the leaders of the world and especially for our Prime Minister who represents the UK at the United Nations. We pray that the plight of people fleeing danger or natural disaster will be heard at the highest level. We pray that their needs will be acknowledged with compassion and that that compassion will lead to international action. And we give thanks for those host communities who have provided welcome and shelter for their neighbours many of them poor and struggling to cope themselves. We pray for your kingdom as you would build it. And we pray for our neighbours in this community who have no proper home of their own. We pray for those who live with their children in bed and breakfast accommodation or in overcrowded or substandard housing. And we pray for those vulnerable young people who sofa surf. Comfort and sustain all who have no safe place, no refuge, no sanctuary. And we give thanks for those who support and advocate for all who are homeless. And we pray that you will bless their work. We pray for your kingdom as you would build it. And we pray for all of us here today and give thanks for our freedom to gather to worship. We pray for the stirring of your spirit within us to act in your love. May all who we encounter this week see the light of your love in us. Show us how to be a blessing for others, bringing the promise that your kingdom is near.
We pray for your kingdom as you would build it. Accept these prayers through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so as we prepare to break bread together, we join together in singing about God's generous providing which sustains us all our days. is the church. Here is this church, a home composed of wonky human stones. And here is a table made ready for a banquet, at least in (coughs) symbolic form. And here are guests waiting for the guest of honour who is already present within them. 
And here is a mystery worth recalling. The home and the guests are one. Here on the table is bread for breaking and wine for sharing. And here around the table are those who hunger for acceptance, mercy, love. And here at the table, all are welcome and none, none are excluded. For here is a mystery worth recalling. Christ's body finds expression in our broken wholeness. Here in this moment, we must lay aside all labels, for all are equal. Here in this sharing, we can know ourselves loved, welcomed, accepted and affirmed. Here in the ordinary, God speaks to us of things eternal. And this is a mystery worth recalling. Here, heaven and earth meet. We hear the familiar words of the Apostle Paul. I receive from the Lord what I also handed on to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, it is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul adds, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let us follow the example of Jesus and give thanks to God. Let's pray together. Homemaking God, who shelters us in the storms of life, who provides us a refuge where we may recover from hurts or regrets, and who promises us a banquet to satisfy our every need. We thank you for all that is anticipated in the sharing of morsels of bread and sips of wine, for the promise of a new creation and of an eternal home in a dwelling that you will supply. And we ask that you bless us now as we live the memory and the hope of which we speak. Amen. Jesus took the loaf of bread and he broke it. And he shared it with his friends in all their diversity, with all their questions and all their faults and their failings, because he loved them warts and all. And he loves us warts and all too. So we are invited to receive bread and eat it as we receive it.
in gratitude, in faith and in hope. At the end of the meal, Jesus took a cup of wine and he shared it with his friends. It would have been one cup in those days and they would have passed it around, each drinking it as they got it. But our tradition has a beautiful symbolism of its own. So we will retain our glasses that we may drink together, a sign of our unity in Christ in all our diversity in this place and of our interconnectedness with all who have sought, do seek and will seek to follow Jesus in all times and in all places. We are the body of Christ. So as Christ's body, let's drink together in faith and thanksgiving. Death defeated, sin overcome, life everlasting, love without end, These you have achieved for us, Lord Christ. So help us to align our lives and our living to your perfect way, now and always. Amen.
so the blessing, the sending prayer for Christian Aid Week 2018. Give us, Lord God, a vision of your kingdom as your love desires. A world where the weak are protected and none go hungry. A world where life is shared and enjoyed by all. A world where all races, nations and cultures live in tolerance and respect. A world where peace is built with justice and justice is guided by love. Give us the inspiration and courage to build your kingdom here and now. <laughs> 